0: Hey, you're listening to Orla's Happy Hormones Podcast, talking all things female health and wellness. I'm Orla Flaherty, a certified naturopath and herbalist, and I'm here to talk about everything from periods, PCOS, endometriosis, health, sex, wellness, and life in general. Here's to happy hormones and a happy you. Hey everybody, and welcome to Orla's Happy Hormones Podcast, episode 9. So this week has been a busy, busy week for me in the best possible way because I have finally finalized my online program. So this online program is called Orla's Happy Hormones Program and it's an online course designed for women like you who's listening out there to help balance your hormones and to help bring you back to a place of health and wellness, overall health and wellness when it comes to balancing your hormones it's not just about nutrition and diet and supplements and I know that's what I talk about on these podcasts but one of the main things that we seem to struggle with as well is stress and anxiety and how living in this rat race like I always say but yeah like living in this rat race and running 24-7 our stress and anxiety levels are through the roof and that's one of the main causes of throwing your hormones out of whack because our body can't cope with all that stress and our when we're under severe amounts of stress and our cortisol and our adrenaline levels are going up sky high, then our liver function isn't as optimum as what we'd like it to be. It, there's a surge in different imbalances from high levels of cortisol and adrenaline And then that affects our hypothalamus and all that. And you've heard me talk about these things before. I won't go on about them again. But this course is specifically designed to help you get back into a place of balance. From nutrition and supplements, some movement, some deep breathing exercises, getting in touch with yourself, gratitude practices, and even some exercise now not a lot of exercise for anyone that's a bit worried about that just some good gentle home exercises done three days a week but if you're interested in this send me an email and I'll send you back on all the information detailing it so my email address is orla.oflaherty0 at gmail.com I'll put the link in the notes in this section But if you're interested in getting your hormones back to a place of health, shoot me an email and let's see if you want to work together, because I know I do. But for now, I'm here doing my weekly podcast, so I'll get back to the topic at hand. Now, you've heard me talk about loads of different conditions over the last few weeks, like PMS and side effects of the contraceptive pill and stress and trying to lose weight with your hormones all over the place and I've only touched on the likes of PCOS and endometriosis so this week's podcast is mainly at endometriosis it's I'm going to discuss what it is the causes the symptoms and my own story with it so sit back relax and I hope you get something from it So what is endometriosis? It's a chronic inflammatory condition, basically. And an estimated 200 million women suffer with this illness. That's one in 10 women suffer from endometriosis. And it's still a silent disease. When I say a silent disease, I mean so many people have never even heard of it. I've mentioned the word endometriosis to people before and they're like, oh, what's that? But yet 200 million women, or nearly 200 million women, suffer from it. I like to call it the silent soul destroyer because it's not talked about enough. And even myself, it's taken me to episode nine to actually sit down and do this episode. And that's because of my own experiences with it. It is a not a tough but it's not the easiest of topics to talk about and I think it's because there is a lack of knowledge around it and again that's why I'm doing these podcasts if we can start talking about the everyday conditions or normalities that women go through and we get rid of the taboo and the shame and we just open up and communicate with each other I think it has such a huge effect on people's lives when you think about it we're here to connect with one another not just on this podcast but in life in general we are here to connect with other human beings and in the age of digital media and social media we've actually we're losing that connection But I am seeing it come back around again. People want to connect with one another. And the way we do that is by talking and by having open communication. And again, that's why I'm doing this podcast. To talk about things and have open communication and to connect with people. Because for me, connection is what makes you feel alive. Have you ever sat down with someone and you both had the same thought processes or the same ideas about life or work or anything and you get excited by each other it's like you're just lighting a fire within each other and that's what connection is so that's why I think we all need to open up and have all these conversations now again I realize I'm rambling like I always do but if you've stuck with me over the last nine weeks you're used to me going off on tangents But anyway, I'll get back to the topic of hand of endometriosis. So endometriosis is a chronic inflammatory condition where the cells from the endometrium of the uterus grow in or on other organs or tissues. So the endometrium is basically the mucous membranes that line your uterus. Now, endometriosis, what happens here is these endometrium cells break off and migrate to other areas of the body or outside of the womb, should I say. So these cells can attach to the likes of the fallopian tubes, the ovaries, anywhere in the pelvis, the bowel, the bladder, and in some really severe cases, it can actually even attach to the lungs or to the heart. And what's happening then is that these growths, these cells start growing and start causing scar tissue but how they cause scarred tissue is that wherever these growths are, the tissue with the endometrial cells responds to the hormone cycle just like your natural menstrual cycle. So these endometrial cells are attached to the likes of your fallopian tube, to your bladder, to your ovaries, wherever they're attached. And then your natural hormone cycles for your menstrual cycle kick in and you get your period and you bleed. These endometrial tissue responds the exact same way and they start to shed and start to bleed. But there's nowhere for this blood to go. So it becomes trapped in the cavity of your outside your uterus and in your abdomen, wherever these cells are attached, there is going to be trapped blood there. And this is what's causing the inflammation, the cysts, and the scarring. And it's the scar tissue that's really causing the problem. Because where there's scar tissue, it's, it's hard for, for the body to do its natural functions. And that's when the problems start happening. Now, what are the causes of endometriosis? To be honest... There is no one cause. It's multifactorial and there is no exact known cause for it. Now there's different, the- not even theories, there's different, different scientific studies have been done, and, which is great because now we can, see, we can see patterns and we can see where we can fix things. But a lot of the times with endometriosis, it, it can be a matter of just managing it. So with 15% of the sufferers who have endometriosis, there's a genetic link. So someone in their family has had it, or there are many members in the family that have had it. So there's that family history of it. Scientists have now actually discovered that it can also be initiated during fetal development. So when you're in the womb, it's actually developed then. But it only starts growing during puberty. So once you reach puberty, your hormones start acting up. That's when it starts growing and that's when it starts causing problems. But yeah, they have now discovered that it's developed when you were in uterine yourself. There's another theory called the metaplasia theory. And this is when cells change into endometrial cells from exposure to hormones, chemicals and infections. So endometrial patches have actually been found in bladders of men who have undergone estrogenic drugs for cancer treatment. So this proves that there is a, a hormone factor from external forces. So then you've got to look at our environmental factors. So the estrogen-mimicking substances that are out there, so the likes of your BPA, your phthalates, so your plastics, pesticides, pollutants, antibiotics in animals, and certain products that are in animal feed, and then we are eating those animals. So it's how I've talked before about having to make sure that you're, you're buying good quality poultry because their antibiotics and their feeds are actually filled with certain products that are grown that have pesticides on them. And I've talked about pesticides before, how pesticides are specifically designed to kill the reproductive system of these insects and Those traces are left on the food and then we're consuming it. So there's a whole host of effects that that are interfering with hormone production in in women and men. For example, that the metaplasia theory, these men who have endometrial patches on their bladders, they're men. They don't have endometrial tissue. But oestrogenic drugs have altered their tissue development. So that is something that we do have to look at. Those external sources of oestrogen-mimicking substances. And it's now also been proven that endometriosis is actually linked to being an autoimmune condition. So this shows us that the inflammatory response and links with endometrial cell growth is there and again through studies and research it shows how autoimmune conditions can be developed through environmental factors again so again the likes of our herbicides, pesticides, plastics, things like that, things that are in our environment that are causing autoimmune conditions as well as stripping us of our gut health which has a huge impact on our immunity. But then that this is linked directly with the likes of endometriosis. So there are a whole host of factors, but no definitive ones. It could be genetic. It could be autoimmune. It could be initiated during fetal development. It could be environmental factors. It could be a whole host of these things. But no matter what the cause is, it is a problem for an estimated 200 million women. And what it does to women who suffer with it, what symptoms that women have to go through on a monthly basis, and when I say monthly basis, I don't just mean every time you get your period. You may get, women who suffer with endometriosis may get one week of a reprieve and then for three weeks it's their inactive flare up all depending on where they are in the condition and what stage it's at but yeah so the symptoms like crippling painful periods when people talk about painful periods it, it's kind of like it's fobbed off and that really annoys me because until you actually see what dysmenorrhea is really like you you don't understand the severity of it. Your whole life is turned upside down. You can't go to work. Your your head is stuck down in toilet for most of the day. And if your head's not stuck down the toilet, then you're stuck on the toilet because you've diarrhoea. And then there's bilious attacks, and you're just in agony. And it's not just a bit of a pain. It's severe pain. And then along with that, you get your heavy period. So they're like, so you're flooding. Like I've had to change my mattress before because I flooded everywhere. <laughs> I remember leaving my boyfriend's house one day and he texted me when I got home and he was like, baby, you all right? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? Didn't really want to say that I thought I was hemorrhaging. But he said to me, he was like, I went outside and there was blood all over the footstep. And he knew that it was me because I ran out the house that morning. I was like, yeah, I got to go, time of the month, just got to get home. And I was playing it down. And that was my fault by playing it down. Not my fault, but that was me playing it down, thinking he didn't want to know about it. Whereas in fact, he's actually amazing when it comes to my period and very caring around my time of the month because he knows what can happen now I've been great ever since my last surgery but for some people out there it's they're still too embarrassed to talk about it but yeah like heavy periods flooding like having to change your pad every 20 minutes But yeah, it's still coming through and it's not just a regular pad. It's like you're wearing a nappy, to be honest. It's one of those ones that wraps the whole way around you. There are times when I wonder if I could actually get an adult nappy. It would probably be better. I'd save so many jeans. But yeah, like other symptoms like back pain, like chronic back pain. Then painful bowel motions, like having a poo and it's so sore. Trying to just pass that. And then if you don't have painful bowel motions, you could have, again, diarrhea, and then you're stuck on the toilet for ages. Then nausea, vomiting, fatigue. Now, not just you're a bit tired. It's that chronic fatigue. You can't move past that exhaustion. And you don't know why you're so exhausted. You may get 12 hours of sleep a night, but you're still exhausted. And then painful sex. It's one of the... Yeah, it's one of the worst symptoms of it, especially when you're in a relationship. Because you, you can lose that intimacy. And there are ways to deal with it. For me, it was... I had to find my voice. And that was a hard thing for me to do and that was something I had to work on over a long period of time. There were times where I would have sex and I would grin and bear it and it would be really painful but I was afraid of losing that connection and losing that intimacy whereas in fact what I should have done and what I ended up doing was actually talking to him and telling him that sex is quite painful at certain times and his response was okay let's do other things and I I was kind of blown away by it in the best way I was like okay yeah let's do other things so we kept our intimacy that way because when sex is painful it's not enjoyable and I actually think this deserves a podcast on its own for women out there who do suffer with painful intercourse because it's, it is quite disruptive like it, it is disruptive in a relationship but only when you don't talk about it and when you're not communicating openly about it and that's what I did I kept my mouth shut and I pretended like I was fine when I wasn't, I'd be bent over in agony in the bathroom afterwards, but I wouldn't say anything, and that was on me and it was down to me to bring awareness to my partner on this on on this. but yeah, that's why I think this topic actually deserves a full podcast on its own because it is a really big symptom when it comes to endometriosis that's not talked about and when you're in a relationship at the end of the day what is a relationship it's about two people coming together equally and being communicative and being open with each other and holding space for each other so you do need to be open with your partner and you need to let them know what's really going on for you during sex so there's so many other symptoms that go along with endometriosis there's a whole long list like anxiety, depression again pain pain is the main symptom and then infertility infertility is a huge issue of endometriosis 30-40% to of women who suffer with endometriosis also suffer with infertility because of it now I'm not saying there's a magic pill that's going to fix endometriosis there's not there's not like conventional methods they can't cause it not cause it they can't cure it but they can stop the progression with the contraceptive pill or HRT a lot of the time a lot of women are sent into early onset menopause through HRT then to reverse the effects they get pregnant in that stage And then that way they can have a child. It doesn't work for everyone. It works for a lot of women. But it doesn't actually cure the endometriosis. Now I'm not saying herbal medicine cures endometriosis. But herbal medicine can also reduce the symptoms of it. And help you to deal with uh, a normal life. And instead of three weeks being debilitated. You have maybe a week. And so one bad week, three good weeks, you know. That's a trade-off I was willing to take, and I took it, and I'm glad I did. But, like, this is a condition that affects 200 200 million women in the world. And not many women, not sorry, not many women, but not many people know about it because it is a silent condition. Now, I've talked about myself before, but never on a platform like this. But when I first heard about endometriosis, I was 15. I remember I was sitting in a gynecologist's chair and she told myself and my mother she thought I had it and the only way to find out was keyhole surgery and that is the only way to find out if you have endometriosis is to have keyhole surgery. Now, I didn't know what it was. I thought nothing of it, you know, I was like, okay, whatever, it's something, let's fix it and that was that. But then when myself and my mom got out to the care and I was like, so what's this endo thing that she's talking about? and. To this day, I still just call it endos. And I just, all I had to do was look at my mother's face. (laughs) And I knew straight away there was something wrong. And I was like, ma'am, what is it? And all she said to me was, it's what someone who's close to me has. Now I'm not going to talk about this person. But she said, this person, it's what this person has. And then my heart sank because I knew straight away, I knew what it was. And now I was 15 and I started bawling, crying and I didn't stop. And I was terrified. And to be honest, I think the fear never truly left me. And that's 17 years ago. But as far back as I can remember, all I ever wanted was to be a mother. It's all I ever wanted. I remember from a young age been 12, saying I wanted to have a big family, I want six kids, now that's changed since I've gotten older, because I'd be happy to have one, but also, kids are hard, <laughs> kids are tough, man, but I'd be happy to have one, but yeah, all I ever wanted was to be a mom, and to feel a baby growing inside me, and just to have that connection. Now, I'm not saying I can't have kids, because I don't know, I'm I'm not actively trying to get pregnant right now because I'm focusing on so many other things. So I don't know. And the last time I saw the gynae, she said, if you go a year and it hasn't happened, then come back to me. We'll go from there. But as of my last surgery, there was no endometrial tissue there. It was just cysts and a blocked fallopian tube. So I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not here saying that I can't have kids. I don't know if I can or or if I can't. I may well have no problem. But I'm just talking about the likes of the fear that surrounds it all and that surrounded it for me over the years. And over the years, I went through loads of different treatments. So the likes of herbs and homeopathy. Uh, I'm a herbalist, but my main to call for me when I need treatment is I go to my homeopath because homeopathy works really well for me and as a practitioner there's always a rule you never ever ever treat yourself. I learned that the hard way by trying to treat myself and I got it all wrong. you can never see a clear picture treating yourself you always have to go to someone else and I learned that the hard way but yeah, I like homeopathy for me. Homeopathy is a fantastic modality of treatment and it's something that I would recommend for people to try homeopathy for anyone that suffers with endometriosis I would definitely recommend homeopathy herbal medicine acupuncture and 100% nutrition nutrition plays a huge role in that and I'll talk about that later but using all these different treatments really helped to reduce my fears and as well I also had to look at myself I had to look at what it meant for me if I couldn't carry a baby or if I could conceive but couldn't hold it. And to be honest, after so much soul searching, I finally got into a place where I no longer feel failure as a woman. I may feel disappointment. I may feel sadness. I may at times actually feel a sense of loss but I no longer feel a failure as a woman I used to, I used to feel like a failure as a woman because my womb wasn't acting how it should and I was always terrified that if I can't have a baby am I a real woman? but I now know that's not true, of course I'm a real woman just because I suffer with certain conditions and I have cysts and I've had a black tube and I've gone through surgeries and everything does not mean that I'm not a real woman. And it also doesn't mean that I'm a failure as a woman. And it also made me look at thinking about other options. And it opened up my whole mindset and it opened up my whole outlook on everything, and to be honest, like, after my last surgery, when my right ovary, my right ovary is my gammy ovary, so my right ovary had more cysts. My left tube was blocked. And I thought, this is it. It's just not for meant for me. And I'm at an age where All my friends, not all my friends, but a lot of my friends around me are all having babies. And, yeah, there were times before when I would be a bit envious. If only for a moment, but I would be envious. But, yeah, like, after my last surgery, I remember lying on the couch the day after the surgery, because it was an in-and-out day. Um, Keyhole surgery, in-and-out in the one day, it was great. But I remember... Coming home and then the next morning my sister called down with my niece, my little babe, Iles. And my sister was heavily pregnant at the time as well with her second, Maya. But with Isla, I remember looking at her and she just came straight up to me and she was about to jump on top of me. But everybody ran and grabbed her at the same time and was like, don't jump on Orla. But she was like, Ola, what's wrong? She couldn't say her Rs at the time. I miss that she doesn't call me Ola anymore. But yeah, she was like, Ola, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, look, I'm just a bit sick. I'm okay. Um, I'll be fine. And then she sat up on the couch beside me and she hugged me. And she kissed my forehead and she wasn't a kisser back then. She's still not a kisser. And she just said to me, like, I love you, Ola. I'll always mind you. And literally heart broken into right there and then. But in a good way, because I looked at her and now remember, this is, I had just been told gammy ovary, black tube on opposite sides. Me freaking out that I wasn't going to be able to have any kids. My sister, heavily pregnant, went number two on the way beside me. And I remember she did say to me a couple of weeks after, you know, about her being pregnant. And I was like, Jesus, stop. Like, just stop. Because in that moment with them there... I realised that I was already blessed. And I realised that it's okay. I have ye. I had, and I still have, my babe Zyla. And Maya now. And if it never happens for me, I still have you. And I always will. And I'll always love you like you're my own. And... Yeah, I remember looking at my sister with her huge bump because she's so teeny, but she did have a quite big bump, um, which was very cute. Just so she doesn't kill me. I will say that now. It was a very cute bump. And yeah, I remember holding back tears. But I still felt so much love for them and knowing that I'm going to get to be a part of their lives. And I had to get out of my head that idea of what I don't have and I had to look at what I do have. And this is a practice that you have to do every single day and you have to initiate every single day. You have to actively look at what you have and not what you don't have. Because... When we focus on what we can't have and all the things that are wrong with us, we lose out on the love and joy that's right in front of us. And yes, of course, there are times when I wonder, will I be able? Is it in the cards for me? But what I've learned most from this journey is staying connected to the things that I already have. And I have Isla and Maya. I have my two babes. And then my partner, he has two beautiful kids. And then my cousin has three beautiful kids. And my friends have kids. So I'm still surrounded with love. And I still get to feel like I may not be a mother. But I still get to feel that maternal instinct towards these kids that are around me. And that I love. And who drive me frigging crazy every now and then. But I absolutely love them. And that's what I focus on. And again, I'm not saying that I can't. Please don't get me wrong here. Because I don't know. Because I'm not actively trying. I could come back to you in a year's time and things could be different. Or else my attitude would still be the same. Because that's what I try to focus on is... What can I do to bring love and joy and happiness into my own life no matter what I'm going through? Because that is what life is about. We can't dwell on the what-ifs and the stress of it all. Because stress hinders it as well. It, It just causes more problems. So when we look at the good and we look at what we have, it brings us to a happier place within ourselves. And, like, even this weekend past was Mother's Day. And Arles came running into me with a present. Now, I was cooking dinner for my mom and my sister, and that was their gift for Mother's Day. I was cooking them dinner. And, yeah, she came running into me and handed me a card, and was like, happy Godmother's Day. And I was like, what is this? And I said it to my sister, it was like, it's Mother's Day, I shouldn't be getting anything, I'm here to serve ye guys today. And both my sister and my mom's response were, you are a mother figure, Orla. And I remember mom saying it to me, she goes, you are a mother figure. You may not have carried one, but you're a mother figure. And just because I'm not there yet, those words rang true to me. And I am a mother in my own way. I'm a mother who wants to have a child. And wants to carry my own child. But if I can't, I can't. That'll be a process I'll have to go through at the time. But there's no point in dwelling on it now. But for now, I get to surround myself with people and children that I love already. So what I will say to anyone out there who is going through infertility treatment or has just found out that they have some sort of reproductive issue or hormonal condition condition, condition um, is to try to not get stuck in your head. I did. I got stuck in my head before, years ago. And then I realized that the more I dwelled on it, not even dwelled, but the more I focused on what I didn't have or what I couldn't have or what I may not be able to have, the more unhappy I was. Whereas the more I focused on the things that I do have and the things that do surround me, the happier I was. I'm not saying everything is sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and butterflies. You know, life happens and I get that. But for me, in this scenario, that's what I try to focus on. Now look, there have been times, even recent times, where I was lying in bed at night and I turned to my partner and I started crying over this. Over certain issues that happened and... Yes, there was the feeling of loss and sadness and everything else. But... I got up the next day. And I said to myself, right, what do I have? What do I have right now? And when the time comes, because like I've said already, I'm not actively trying. Because I'm focusing on work. And life right now so that I can support a baby when it comes and see that like I said there, when it comes I don't know if it will or not but I'm choosing to use the positive words with it but that's all we can do is choose to look on the positive side And I'm not saying that flippantly because I know that despair and I know that feeling of loss. Trust me, I do. But for your own happiness, you need to look at what you have right now. And how you can improve your own life. And the ways I keep the likes of the fear away from me and... That, that confusion and that inner voice that inner monologue that goes on and on and on is by talking to myself and letting myself know that look, we don't know, we won't know until we try for women who have been trying for a long time and things aren't happening there's, I'll be honest here I can't, I can't imagine I have probably one-tenth of the fear and anxiety and stress that you have. But all I will say is to try and focus on your own self. Because when you get caught in that cycle of, having to do it, having to get pregnant, having to have a baby and that constant state of disappointment and sadness and loss it it does become a vicious circle and it does tend to weigh down on you and your heart will be heavy and it's validated and I hear you, I do But look at ways where you can manage that stress around it all. One thing that I have seen an awful lot in my clinic is with women. Once we take away the stress of having to conceive... Life becomes that bit more easier for women. Now, look, I'm, again... I'm not talking about women who have been trying for the last two, three, four, five 5 years. I'm talking to women who have just started trying here. And you're stressing out over it. The more stress that's there, the more you're going to have problems. Because the more inflammation is going to be there. Stress causes inflammation. Now I know it's easier said than done. Stop stressing and you'll get pregnant. Like, I'd love to say F off, but because I I know myself, like, you can't tell somebody to stop stressing. But even just looking at your own thought process and asking yourself, right, what is it that I can do that's going to make me happier? I'm going to give me peace of mind. And the only thing I can say to you here is what I have done. And like I've talked about already is I've got, I've talked myself around into a different mind frame. That took a few years. I'm not saying it's going to take years, but it, it can take time to get yourself talked around. And it's about realizing that. Not even realizing it. It's about looking at what you do have. Stop focusing on what you don't have. And focus on what's around you. Focus on... The relationship that you have with your partner. Focus on your family members. If you have nieces or nephews or cousins. Focus on them. Because the more you focus on what you don't have. The more you ostracize the people around you. And the more unhappy you're going to be. We, I talked about it in the beginning of this podcast. About connection. And that as human beings we need to have Connection. And the more we stress about not having things, the more we disassociate with people. And look, I've done it myself over the years, but I've realized that that's not the way to go about things. Again, because I talked myself round into focusing on the things that I do have and the things that are in my life. And then other things that I... other practices that I've done to help manage the likes of symptoms anyway. Whatever about the infertility side, managing symptoms, managing the pain, the, the bilious attacks, the vomiting, diarrhea, that chronic pain, the painful sex, the nausea, vomiting. Like, I just went down practical terms. I was lucky. I went on a very, very, very strict and rigid diet when I was in college because I said to myself that's it I'm going to fix my problems with my diet and I went on a massively ridiculous strict diet for about six months and within two months I lost two and a half stone and I never went on this diet looking for weight loss yeah I was a little bit overweight but I wasn't worried about that I wanted to do this diet to get rid of my symptoms And it did work, but I'd never recommend anyone go on it, because it was extreme. So, like, I cut out wheat, dairy, sugar, yeast, and gluten. And I wasn't... Yes, I was in college, but I wasn't educated enough around food in the beginning to know what I could have. And I ended up cutting out so many calories, and that wasn't good for me either, but in the first two months I ended up losing a lot of weight which wasn't planned but then I I realized I really have to educate myself here on on nutrition and on food now I was in college at the time but I remember I started it on my summer break and I had the basics but I didn't have full education but the more I went through college I realized what I could do but yeah so When it comes to chronic inflammatory conditions, the likes of increasing your fresh fruit and veg, I know it sounds boring. I know you're hearing this 24-7 from people, but there's a reason you're hearing it 24-7 from people, because it works. All these fad things that you will see out there, it's what they are, it's their fad. If you incorporate fresh, whole, organic fruit and veg into every meal foods that trigger your liver detoxification pathways so your dark leafy green veg that stimulates liver detoxification which will help expel excess hormones. Then you look at your anti-inflammatory foods so all those orange and red coloured vegetables, so your sweet potato, squash, pumpkin, beetroot, carrots, turnip, all those veggies, so rich in flavonoids, antioxidants, vitamin C, everything to nourish you, then your fruits, when you're looking at fruits, look at wholesome nourishing fruits like berries, blueberries, blackberries, all those dark berries are so rich in anthocyanins, which is an antioxidant, it's a compound in these fruits they will help counteract oxidative stress from inflammation so whole foods are there to actually help your body function on a basic level like, Hippocrates, he was the founder of medicine. This is going back to, like, over 400 BC. The founder of medicine said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And as a naturopath, one of our main principles is prevention is better than cure. Now, I'm not saying, when it comes to endometriosis, because of the genetic factors. And autoimmune conditions. And fetal development aspect. You know. It may not be prevented. But it can be contained. By using foods that are rich. In plant chemicals. Phytochemicals. Which you can get from your food. As long as it's good quality. It's why I always talk about eating organically. And. Then. Then. If you eat meat, perfect. Make sure you're getting a good quality meat, good quality protein. We need protein for proper hormone production, but you need to be getting the good quality stuff. So, especially when you have endometriosis, you need to be buying organic poultry. It has to be organic. It can't have any antibiotics or any GMO herbicides or pesticides because they will interfere with your reproductive organs. So buy organic. You can go to Aldi, you can go to your local farmer's market, you can get these things, or Little. Dunn's, Tesco, they all have organic sections, but Aldi and Little, they are the cheapest, and I know for a lot of people it's their fear of not being able to afford it, which is ridiculous that organic is more expensive than the other stuff. But anyway. Go to these places and buy organic foods. And go to your butchers to get your meat. And then when you're eating fish, make sure it's wild fish. Again, because of the pesticides that are that are sprayed on them. And also they're contained in such small cages that they're given antibiotics in their feed. So like salmon is one of the best foods out there for your omega-3s, uh, your essential fatty acids. But it has to be wild salmon and it can't be wild pacific salmon because the amount of radiation that's in the pacific ocean so tesco i know does a wild um, alaskan salmon so go to tesco and get your wild alaskan salmon if you love salmon i'm lucky my godfather he fishes <laughs> he, he sends in salmon and trout to us whenever he can so i am blessed because i love it so i only get it seasonally but that's how we should eat anyway and then other things that you can look at so the likes of your supplements with endometriosis you're looking at anti-inflammatory stuff so your vitamins a c e selenium zinc they're all anti-inflammatory you need antioxidants and anti-inflammatory within you now i always say when it comes to supplements try get your your vitamins and minerals from your food but when you have a condition like endometriosis you are lacking because you have so much inflammation in the body you do need to have a supplement I would always recommend, recommend the Revive Active because it has everything in it that's extremely bioavailable to the body so Revive Active has vitamins A, C, E, zinc, selenium D3 with K2 magnesium and a whole host of other things so get yourself a revive active then your vitamin b complex to promote healthy liver detoxification and hormone production and again your essential fatty acids i always recommend the more epa but because there's an autoimmunity or an autoimmune factor when it comes to endometriosis get yourself a good probiotic you need to be on top of your gut health so Udo Super 8s, they're the ones that I would o- always recommend. They're, they really are the best brand, either the Super 8s or the Super 8 Gold. They may look to be expensive, but in hindsight, they're actually not. Because you get forty two billion microbes per serving in comparison to other leading leading brands where you only get 2 to 4 billion. Per capsule. So go with the Udo's choice. They really are the best brand. Also start including apple cider vinegar into your diet. Fermented foods like sauerkraut or kimchi. In very, very, very small amounts. Like a teaspoon. Just add it in gradually. I'm not telling you to sit down and eat a jar of sauerkraut. Add it in gradually and it'll be okay. And then herbs. Like herbal medicine is great. Now I can't go into like a full formula with you because each individual is different everybody's body is different it's what I always say when it comes to hormonal problems and autoimmune problems everybody's physiological functioning is completely different so I could have two women come into me with endometriosis they get two completely different formulas because they have different symptoms going on And they have different aspects and energetics when it comes to traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Western herbalism. There's different aspects going on. But for now, what I will say is get on the liver function. You really need to be making sure that your liver is functioning correctly. So the likes of... I've talked about it so many times, I probably in every podcast, you must be sick of hearing about dandelion root and burdock root and turmeric and berberis and so many different things. But you need to really get on top of it. But you need to make sure that if you're on any sort of medication that they're not interfering. So get in touch with a herbalist. I'm not saying to get in touch with me. Get in touch with somebody in your area, somebody that you've heard of, somebody that is recommended, somebody that is reputable. Go to someone who knows what they're talking about. And somebody that you can trust too. It's a main thing really is what I'd say. Somebody that you can trust. So yeah, like your your liver herbs. Your dandelion, burdock, milk thistle, turmeric. Loads of liver herbs out there. Then your hormone balancing herbs, your hormone modulators. So the likes of your vitex, angelica sinensis. Wild yams, Chatevary, beautiful tonic for women. Peony, beautiful blood tonic. And also a good liver and stomach herb. And then your black cohosh, which you can only get from a licensed herbalist because you can't get it over the counter anymore. And also your anti-inflammatory herbs. So your ginger, your turmeric and your berberus. Again, they're all anti-inflammatory. And then the likes of hawthorn, goa-cola, prickly ash, calendula, like these all increase the circulation to the uterus and relieve pelvic congestion, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking to reduce down pelvic congestion, inflammation, and balance the hormones, and really get that liver function going. Make sure that your liver is able to metabolize all these excess hormones and excess toxins that are running around the body from your inflammation, from that oxidative stress. But there are loads of ways that you can help yourself physically with the likes of nutrition, supplements, herbs. Acupuncture is phenomenal for getting the smooth flow of chi going. I love acupuncture. I just can't get it done myself because I hate needles. But I do love how it works and homeopathy as well for me i use homeopathy a lot because it works well for me it always has i've used homeopathy since i'm 15 and i just find it phenomenal so i use a combination of homeopathy herbal medicine and nutrition nutrition is my main protocol to call because i can control exactly what's going into my body every single day now i'm going to be honest here I haven't been great over the last few weeks simply from being so busy But that's all changing in the next couple of days. I have my plan made out, and I'm going gung. I'm going gung ho for it. But yeah, so that's this week's episode on endometriosis. I know it was quite an in depth episode and quite a long episode too. I'm seeing that we're up at fifty five minutes here. My bad. But I think it deserved a good slot and again I know it was quite personal not sure how I'm going to feel about this being posted in the next couple of days but for anybody out there who is going through symptoms or who has been suffering with endometriosis I hope I've helped I really do I hope I've given you some sort of insight that we all have these fears and that you're not alone because there's 200 million women in this world suffering with this but they're suffering silently and we should start talking about it so if you have any questions or if you liked the episode, or if you didn't like the episode, because I know it touches on very personal topics for people, feel free to to tag me, to message me, even if you just want to have a chat after listening to it. I'm here for that. So I hope you all have a very happy Thursday, and happy hormones. And I'm sending love to each and every one of you out there.